Bible, whatever copy you have with you, and I want you to meet me this morning in John chapter 1. Meet me in your Bible in John chapter 1. It's going to be, just so you know up front, a little while until we get there. Um, But I want you to have it ready because once we get started, we are going to move quickly. And we're going to cover a lot of ground in a relatively short amount of time. So find your way to John chapter 1. Let me also preface this. I'll probably reiterate it at some point as well. Let me just say up front, though, just because it is going to be the case that this morning's message is a little bit different, at least in terms of the style and the approach we're going to take. As you know, we typically, almost exclusively, when we come to this time, we take a passage of God's Word, we read it, and study it. And trust me when I say, believe me when I say, that's still our conviction and will be our pattern. But today I've got several boxes I need to check by way of introduction. So it's going to be a little bit different. We're still going to study God's word. We're still going to go after God's truth. We're still going to figure out how to apply it to our lives, but the style will be just a little bit different. And then next week, we will go back to what we are probably more familiar with and what I am certainly more comfortable with when it comes to our time together of preaching and studying God's word. But all of that said, John chapter 1 is where you need to be. We will get there in a matter of time. But first, I want to begin by sharing with you. I want to actually kind of tell you a story story, uh, a true story, uh, a story involving us to sort of help you understand what is going on, what's about to happen here and in the weeks to come here at Maranatha. Because as many of you know, about two years ago, our, uh, our pastoral staff and our elder board, we had a retreat. We had an overnight retreat just to get away. We had spent some time in advance of that praying. We'd had a season of fasting. And we went away really to come together and see if we could get some clarity from the Lord on what the future, the coming months and years of our church, of life in our church, ought to be like. And it was during that time of meeting together, of just getting away from the stuff of life, that through it, the Lord led us, the pastors and elders, to establish six initiatives. We really believe these are things the Lord impressed upon us. Six initiatives for our church's future. Six things that we believe either we needed to continue leaning in on and pressing into and doing, or maybe in in a couple of instances, something that we really hadn't given much attention to, but that God was saying, do this. And as we put those six initiatives together, as we went through that very at times complicated process, the first of those six initiatives, far and away, not even close in terms of our agreement on it and our intensity and focus upon it, above all the others, was a focus, an initiative for our church of evangelism. We believe God was saying this is job number one. To be a church that understands and practices biblical evangelism. Specifically, we said this. I'm not going to put this on the screen, but if you want to look it up, it's on the website, okay? This is the statement, the initiative that God led us to create. We said that with the Lord's help, we as a church wanted to begin intentionally developing circles of influence. That's you, us, all of us, developing circles of influence in our lives beyond the church family outside of this gathering of people that we know and love well for the express purpose of inviting them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
We wanted to intentionally develop circles of relationships beyond our church family for the express purpose of inviting others into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, we were excited about that. We were fired up about it. Usually I go home from a retreat like that exhausted, thinking I don't want to do this again for a really long time. This time was different. Because I feel like we'd really gotten a hold, or God had gotten a hold of us, because we had gotten a hold of his plan. And I think that sentiment was shared among the pastors and elders. We were excited. We were enthused. We felt like we had direction. Until our next couple of regular elder board meetings, when it became very, very clear, very, very quickly, that we had no idea where to start. We had an initiative, we had a dream, but we had no earthly idea where to begin. And then, almost as if by design, almost as if somebody bigger was up to something on our behalf, I got a phone call. I got a phone call from my friend, good friend, prayer partner, Pastor Steve Benton over at Faith Bible Church. And he was just calling out of the blue to, to ask if Maranatha Bible Church would be interested in joining Faith Bible Church in something called Evangelism Shift. He said, Aaron, are you interested? Would you think you'd be interested in this? Now, I pray, Steve and I and a couple of others, we pray together every single week. And so I knew a little bit of, of something about evangelism shift. I know that their church had been looking at it for over a year. And, and I had been praying with him because, because this was becoming a great priority, something their church was very excited about. And from those prayers and conversations, I understood that evangelism shift was an evangelism training initiative. I hesitate to use the word program. I probably will, but I don't like it. It was an initiative founded in Australia that had gone across Australia and into New Zealand with great effect in local churches, equipping the people of God to reach lost men and women and children for Jesus Christ, that they were seeing phenomenal results through this program. I also knew that they were looking to launch Evangelism Shift in North America. I knew further that they had approached a church a long ways away from here, a great big megachurch with all kinds of influence, and they seriously considered it, but ultimately they prayed about it and declined to, to be the pilot church. And then through channels that I won't take time to explain here, the evangelism shift team in Australia called Faith Bible Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And they said, we want you to be the North American pilot church for evangelism shift. Do you want to do that? And they said, yes, after praying about it, we want to move forward. And in his phone call to me, again, almost as if there's a plan behind it, he said, Aaron, I was thinking about it. Would you guys want to join us? Would you want to be part of something brand new that God is literally doing in this hemisphere in terms of training believers to witness for Jesus Christ. And a little light bulb above my head went ding. We had our answer. We had what we thought was an answer. So shortly thereafter, we sent a team of, of, of a couple of our elders and their wives over to Faith Bible to get some information, to be exposed to what is involved and what it's all about. And that team returned, unanimously enthused, unanimously agreed that this was, in fact, God's answer to our prayers. 
And so what some of you know, but others of you may not, is now for the past year, a team of us, of about 30 men and women, a core team, has been training with Evangelism Shift. We've been to six weekend seminars where we've gone through, just studied the scriptures together and learned what God says in his word about living as a witness. We have lined up with one another, uh, uh, with, uh, with accountability partners with one another that we We're supposed to be checking in with regularly just to encourage and to pray and keep each other focused on the task. Each of us has something called the Live as a Witness Journal. Every day as part of our devotion, we have the chance, if we want to, our own quiet times with the Lord, to be reminded and encouraged what it means to live as a witness. And it has been helping us discover at different paces and in different ways, some of us for the very first time, many of us like myself in a brand new, fresh way, what living as a witness is all about. And the fact that it is something I can be excited about, to live as a witness for Jesus Christ. Now, all of us who've done that, if I ask those 30 people, most of whom I think are here today, to stand up and, 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 and agree with me, they would in saying we're all very much works in progress. None of us have mastered the art of living as a witness. Everybody's at a different place in the journey. But the time has come in our training and in the program to bring it to you. To introduce you. That's been the idea, that's been the plan all along, that we would get a couple steps ahead, that we would become equipped, that we would become energized, that we would become familiar, and now having completed a year, even with COVID and all the disruption that's brought, we've completed year one, and it's time for year two, and we are now here, I am here on behalf of that team, to invite you into the adventure with us to become a part, to get into what this program, this initiative is all about. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to get into details, facts and figures and strategies and, 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 and approaches, all the kind of stuff that just has to happen for you to understand what it's all about, for us to be refreshed and equipped. And, and we're going to be sharing that with you a little bit at a time over the next few weeks. But for my part, for our part this morning, one of the central elements of this is to bring it to the preaching, to spend our time, and we're going to do this for the next several months, really a good share of the next year, as we come together in God's Word. Again, as I said earlier, doing it the way we usually do. We're preaching from God's Word. We're studying God's Word, but we're doing it with a purpose. We want to see what God's Word says about knowing, following, and living as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's all over the scriptures, and it has so much to say. We want to, my assignment, and, and others are going to help, is to use this time to explore the biblical basis of what it means to live as a witness for Jesus Christ. How you, yes, you, Old, young, man, woman, longtime believer, newcomer to Jesus, can be an influencer for Jesus Christ wherever he's placed you at this time in your life in this particular place. And so that is why this morning, as you can see on the screen behind me, the theme of our new series is Can I Get a Witness? Jesus is looking for witnesses, and he's looking for you. We're going to talk about that. Can I? What does it mean to be a witness? The theme of of this Sunday and the next several weeks of this series is, again, as I've already said, just to explore, just to begin to get to some of the fundamentals of what the Bible says living as a witness for Jesus Christ 
means. And, and specifically this morning, as I said, the point of this sermon, this time we're going to spend in God's word, is this. It is to get a hold. Now, if you haven't jotted anything down, at least mentally jot this down. Here's what we're after this morning. Here's where we're going to go as we get into God's word. You, I, we, who know Jesus, need to get hold of the fact, come to grips with the fact that if you know Jesus, you have a part to play. If you know Jesus Christ, you have been called to live as a witness. You have not necessarily been called to be a preacher. You've not necessarily been called to be a missionary or a Sunday school teacher, but you have been called by definition to live as a witness. Because here's the thing. All of us who know Jesus know people who need Jesus. Amen? People in your life who need Jesus. Some of them you know well. Some of them you love dearly. Some of them are chance encounters along the way. But we all, all of us who know Jesus, know people who need Jesus. And that just as God sent him into this world once upon a time for us, Jesus has sent each of us into this world for him. Now, the reason I begin this morning that way, by telling you that story and just giving you that background, is really twofold. There's two quick things. These aren't on the screen either, but then everything else after that will be getting into God's Word. But there's two reasons that I take the time to begin in this way and to give you that story. Number one, to demonstrate how serious we actually are about our third ministry pillar that we talked about last Sunday, about being a church of immeasurably greater witness. As I said, we don't want that to be art in the bulletin. We don't want that to be a, a snappy slogan that makes us sound like a good church. We truly do want to be and become a church and a people of immeasurably greater witness. And God has given us a way to go about doing that. So that's one. And then secondly, the reason I tell you and this is probably more relevant to where we're going to go in just a moment here in the scriptures, is this, it is to illustrate the reality of sovereignly orchestrated divine appointments that God puts in our lives, whether we know it or not, every single day. Do you think it was an accident my friend Steve called me? Do you think it was was an accident, a coincidence? I know we joke and we kid around here a lot about coincidences. That all of a sudden, at our particular point of need, being so convinced and so enthused and then so confused from a leadership perspective that, that this is what God about, or did God have a design? God had a design. God had a plan. And, and what we want to begin to see this morning, what I want to begin sharing with you, because I need it as much as anyone as well, is to realize that what God in that sense did for us, God is in the business and interested in doing for you every day creating sovereignly orchestrated divine appointments where you and I can begin to learn to bear witness for Jesus Christ. And that is why having introduced you to a brand new word last Sunday, the word sentness, right? We talked last Sunday in Immeasurably Greater Witness about the theme, about the idea of sentness. That's why the first thing we're going to do now, as you turn your attention to the Bible, as you open your Bible to John chapter 1, the first thing we're going to do in God's Word this morning is very quickly, but hopefully very clearly, trace what I call the thread of sentness in John's Gospel. In the Gospel of John, there is a thread of sentness that I am now convinced every believer needs to see. 
if we intend to live as witnesses for him. Now, by my count, and by my count I mean by doing a Bible gateway word search, I have discovered that in the Gospel of John, some form of the word send or sent appears 22 times. There's 21 chapters in John, you can do the math. That means it's there quite a bit. On average, more than once a chapter, there is a reference to someone being sent. Now, just to ease your minds, we're not going to look at all 22. But rather, what I want to do this morning, rather than paying all 22 of those appearances a visit, I just want to survey a few of its more notable appearances. Some of the perhaps more relevant to our purpose this morning, uses of this word, this idea of sentness. So that is why we're in John chapter 1. And again, I don't think it's coincidental that in communion, Tim had us read the first few verses of this chapter already. Again, divine appointments. There is an orchestrator to all of this. I didn't know Tim was going to do that. He may not have known I was going to be here, but I'm going to pick up where he left off by saying, look with me at John chapter 1, verse 6, where after giving this preamble, this introduction about Jesus being the light of men, it says this in the word of God, John 1, 6. There came a man, what? What's the next word? Sent from God, whose name was John. Now, this John is not John the author of the gospel, John the disciple, John the apostle. This is a reference to John the Baptist, who the Bible tells us was expressly sent, even miraculously conceived and brought to this planet for one primary purpose, and that was to prepare Israel for the coming of their Messiah. He was given a message to prepare. Prepare your hearts. Repent. The Messiah, the promised Savior of Israel, has come. John had a mission sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. Now, go from there to chapter 3, where we see the first time that Jesus, first time Jesus makes use or reference to this notion of sentness. Most of us know John 3.16 rather well. It's, it's a conversation Jesus is having late at night with a religious scholar named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is and how he's doing all these amazing things and what is his purpose, and he's deeply concerned, looking for answers. And so Jesus says in John three sixteen, of course, what? That God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But he goes on from there. Jesus didn't stop there. In John 3, 17, he said this, for God did not what? Send. God did not send, John 3, 17, the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. John was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus was sent to save sinners like us. And so Jesus, at the outset of his ministry, says, I'm here. Uh, my, my life, my ministry is defined by sentness. God the Father sent me. And then, throughout the rest of the gospel, he unpacks more of this idea. Go across the page to John chapter 4. John 4, verse 34. This is the wrap-up, the conclusion, or really the climax of the story of the woman at the well. This woman who, who was ostracized, and yet Jesus came and offered her the gift of eternal life. And and the disciples come back, and, and they're talking, and, and Jesus says this. Without getting into the whole context and, and getting sidetracked by that, Jesus simply said this. He said, guys, my food, that is my purpose for existence, is to do the will of him who 
sent me of the one who sent me, John 4, 34, and to accomplish his work. Jesus is saying, I was sent here at my Father's direction. This wasn't just some whim. God has a plan. I'm sent at his direction. Go to John chapter 5, verse 30. Go across the next page. Jesus says this about his relationship to the one who sent him. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, excuse me, I judge, my judgment is just. Because I do not seek my own will, but I seek to do the will of him who sent me. John chapter 4, I came at my father's direction. John chapter 5, I only follow my father's instructions. Why does he do that? John chapter 8. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 8, where Jesus, in a moment of time, really gets on a roll on this theme. Makes mention of it several times. Jesus, it says, if you just glance at verse 20, it says he's speaking in the area of the temple called the treasury and teaching in the temple and and there's this big question, are the authorities going to come and seize him or not seize him? And it's very controversial. Everybody's got an opinion about Jesus. But as you come down to verse 25, Jesus said this, or they said to him, all right, Jesus, just give it to us straight. Who are you? Who are you and what are you doing here? Because we're trying to figure you out. And what does Jesus say? He said, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? This is not new information, gentlemen. I have many things to speak and judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. Go down to verse 29. And he, that is God the Father who sent me, is with me. He has not left me alone for... I always do the things that are pleasing to him. John 4, I came at my father's direction. John 5, I, I only follow my father's instructions. John chapter 8, the reason I only follow my father's instructions is because it's pleasing to him. My ambition here, again, and again, I'm so appreciative of the fact that God coincidentally had Tim in communion talking about the humanity of Jesus Christ. Fully God and fully man. And what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I'm not here of my own will. I'm not here to do my own thing. I have a purpose and I only want one thing and that is to do what's pleasing to my Father. Pleasing to him in every way. I have a mission. I have been sent. Now jump from John 8 to John 14. Now we move from, from sort of the heart of Jesus' ministry to, to his final night on the planet. In John 14, Jesus has already for a time been in the upper room with his disciples. By this point, Judas the betrayer is gone. It's 11 faithful men left with him. And Jesus has been speaking to them, and he's been sharing with them, guys, I'm about to go away. You're not going to see me much longer. And the reason you're not going to see me much longer is I'm about to die. In fact, tomorrow, they're going to nail me to a cross. And, and he's been saying this, and they're trying to grapple with it and understand it. And as you might imagine, they're troubled by it. What, Jesus, go away? We give our life for you. All we've known for three years is following you. Now you're going away. What are we supposed to do? Well, in John 14, Jesus says, guys, relax. Because these things, verse 25, these things I have been saying, I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will 
send in my name. He's sending him in my name. He will teach you all things, and he will help you remember everything I said to you. God sent John the Baptist to prepare the way. God sent Jesus the Messiah to pay for our sin. And when Jesus has finished that work, Jesus says, God is going to send the Holy Spirit, not just to sit beside you, but to live within you, help you remember, comfort you, teach you, show you how to live a life that is pleasing to me then. Then, in the upper room, we come to John 17. Turn your Bible to John 17. At this point in that final evening of Jesus' earthly life, he's done preaching, teaching, explaining, now he's praying. And frankly, this is probably the last time his disciples ever heard him pray aloud before he went to the cross. And as he's praying aloud, the entirety of his prayer is a prayer for them. And, and if you look at, actually, if you were to look at John 17, 20, you'd, you'd see that he was praying for us as well. Praying for you. He says, I, I do not pray on behalf of the guys in this room alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's praying for us. And this is what he prayed to his father. He said, John 17, excuse me, verse 18, he says, Father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. As you sent me, I'm now sending them. Then, if you jump with me one more time to John chapter 20, you'll see that three nights later, with the cross and resurrection now in the books, several post-resurrection appearances already have happened. Some of the people have seen him risen from the dead. In John 20, 21, Jesus takes the prayer of John 17, and he turns it into a commandment here in John 20. Jesus said to them again, John 20, 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way. Jesus was sent to pay the price. Jesus only came here sent to do his Father's will. He said, I'm going to go away. I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And guess why I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you? Because in the same way God in heaven sent me, I now send you. Now, you know that I'm big on, on language. I'm making sure that when we use certain words in our study of the Bible, we all understand them the same way. I want to do a really profound word study for you here for just a, just a little moment here, okay? I want to make sure that when we look specifically at John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, I now send you, that we all understand the meaning of the word as, okay? Let's make sure that when Jesus said that, we know what he means. As the Father sent me, I now send you, and by implication, we are in the you. Because as means this, in the very same way, in the very same fashion, in the exact same manner, as the Father sent me, I now send you. Meaning this. Whatever Jesus came here to do, whatever it was the Bible says Jesus came here to do, and however the Bible tells us Jesus went about it, that is our assignment. That's our commission. 
And if you know Jesus, again, old or young, newcomer or longtime follower, this is your assignment. It is my assignment. We've been sent in the same way. It's what we are instructed and even expected to do. Merrill Tenney helpfully puts it this way in his commentary. He says, what this means is this, that, quote, as the Father had sent Jesus to speak his words, to do his works, and lay down his life for the salvation of mankind, so he, Jesus, expects us to deliver his message, to do greater works than he did, and to lay down our lives in his service. In other words, what all of this is driving at simply comes down to this. What the thread of sentness in John's gospel reveals is this. Having been saved by Christ's sacrifice, having been saved by Christ's sacrifice, we have been sent into this world as his witnesses. If you're saved, you're sent. If you know Jesus, you are a witness for him by definition. And from his example, from his example, even just some of what we saw in that very swift survey of John's gospel, the other thing I want to look at this morning, and I promise to do this quickly because there's a lot coming at you, I understand quickly, and we're going to deal with all of this again in a number of ways in the future. But what I want to show you in the time we have left, based on what we have just seen here, and based on that principle that if you've been saved, you have been sent, is this. We're going to see if we can make it immensely practical, because what I want to give you in the time we have left are two key traits of an effective witness. By definition, if you're saved, you have been sent. Now, if you want to be effective, if you want to learn to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ, there are two traits, according to this survey, that every effective witness has in common with the others. And again, this is introductory, so we're only scratching the surface. We're going to go into this deeper later on. But what John's sentence thread shows us is this. Number one, effective witnesses are, everybody say, available. <laughs> effective witnesses are available if they want to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. You know, as I was thinking about evangelism, as I was thinking about sharing, just what the idea of sharing my faith in Jesus, what my history with that is, and, and, and what, my, uh, what my experiences of it have been, you know, it occurred to me, and, and this is a hunch I have, and I think it's probably true for many others of, of us as well, but that most of us who've heard the call to live as a witness before, to go into all the world and tell people about Jesus Christ, to share our faith, I have a hunch that in most of our experience, most of us don't have nearly as many botched opportunities for sharing Jesus Christ, where we tried to do it and it just completely went off the rails and something horrible happened and we got the whole story wrong and they walked away and never came back to Jesus again. Most of us don't have as many botched opportunities as we do missed opportunities. Just flat-out missed opportunities. That's my story. Times when I didn't, couldn't, wouldn't, wasn't sure how to take a conversation and turn it to Jesus. I'm not, and frankly, the reason I haven't blown many opportunities is because I haven't taken many opportunities. And as I said, we miss so many of them in our lives every day. I thought, why is that? Why is it that 
by and large, many of us just have so many missed opportunities. And, and I'm sure there's lots of reasons. We could make a list, but one of the, you know, I think one of the biggest, biggest reasons is, is somewhere along the way, we got the idea that it's all on us. I've got to have the perfect transition. I've got to memorize this plan and deliver it flawlessly. I've got to know where to go in my Bible, one page to the next, and, and just lay it all out. And it's on me to make sure they understand and turn and believe. But here's the thing, listen. And I realize this is going to take some convincing. It's taken some convincing, some persuading for me. When you begin to grasp the fact that having been saved, by definition, you're sent. Saved ones are sent ones. When you begin to grasp that, and then you recognize what we talked about at the beginning this morning, that our God is a God of divine appointments. He is the orchestrator of every single thing in your life. When you realize that, you can begin making yourself available. If I'm talking to this person, whether we're talking about Jesus or not, somehow that's part of God's design. If, if, if I enter into this conversation and it drifts into spiritual things, well, it didn't drift there by accident. There is a God who drifted us there by design. Our lives are just a story of one divine appointment after the next for all sorts of reasons, but some of them are meant to come to a point of bearing witness. And when you understand that, you can begin to make yourself available. Just available to live and even speak as a witness for him. In fact, one of the first lessons that we learned in our first year of training with Evangelism Shift, one of the chief lessons that we learned and we're going we're gonna to begin to share with you is that God is already at work in other people's lives. Long before you met them. Long before... I spoke with them. And, and that he's always at work in other people's lives, even when we can't see it. Go back to, real quickly, just do this with me. Go back to John chapter 1, okay? To, to John the Baptist and his story, because there's, there's glimmers of it right there. And I think this is why John the Baptist was such an effective witness. He knew it wasn't all about him. He knew God is the divine orchestrator. God is the divine appointment maker. Again, just very quickly, verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a what? What does it say in your Bible? As a witness, okay? He came as a witness to testify about the light that all might believe through him. Jump down to verse 19. And this was John's testimony. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to say, who in the world are you? He confessed. What did he say? He didn't deny. He said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. Well, then, John, who are you? Verse 23, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. And verse 29, and the next day, as he saw Jesus coming to him, he said, Behold, there's the man, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did John know? It's not about me. I'm just a voice. I'm an available Available voice. God sent me to you to point you to Jesus, and I've done it. That's my job. And so the first key to becoming an effective witness is be available. Confident in the knowledge that God is way ahead of you in your conversations. And then the second and the last thing I want you to see here this morning is this. The second key trait of effective witnesses is not only are they, number one, available, 
Effective witnesses are number two, attentive. Effective witnesses are attentive. Remember what Jesus, as we just, just, just to remind you, as we went through the sentence thread, what was Jesus saying all along? He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. Again, this is the humanity, right? I, I, I do what he tells me to do. I say what he tells me to say. I go where he tells me to go because I have one ambition. I'm here to please my Father. And so I do only what he instructs me to do. And as I thought about that, you know what I realized that means? That means among whatever else it may be true, Jesus had a vibrant prayer life. Okay? That even as the Son of God, he was also the Son of Man who was in constant communication with his father all day long. Where should I go? What should I do? Who should I speak to today? How should I answer them? What should I ask them? We don't normally think of Jesus that way, but that's how it was. He learned what it meant to live here. He was perfect. He was flawless. He was fully God. But he's talking to his father. How can he say, I only do what the father tells me to do if he's not talking to his father all day long? He was. Incidentally, that's another big thing you'll learn through Eshif, the connection between evangelism and prayer. It's vital. Evangelism and prayer. But Jesus is conversing with his Father all day long, meaning that if he has sent us as the Father sent him, we must be paying attention, looking with God's direction for divine appointments in our own lives. And when it seems like one comes our way, to be conversing with the Father. I'm looking at you as we talk, but I'm talking to my Father. What should I say? How can I speak of the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ with this hurting, lost person? Engaged with the person, but attentive to the Spirit. Because guess what? That's when evangelism happens. Available and attentive. Last week I asserted that most of us, when we hear the word evangelism, as I always have, we likely equate that word with closing the deal, right? When, when we talk about evangelism, what are we taught? Here's how to get it done. To, to get someone to recognize these three things, to repeat these words after us, to cross the finish line of faith, repenting of their sin, and trusting Jesus Christ. Most of us, when we hear evangelism, we think closing the deal, Selling the story, right? And, and getting people to agree to it. And, and listen, while that is certainly the most important part of anybody's faith journey from lost to found in Jesus Christ, it is not the only step. Far from it. There are so many other divine appointment moments along the way. Most of you think about how you came to know Jesus Christ. At some, time you just had to hear, at some point you just heard his name. And then you began to hear the story. You became awakened to a need in your life that nothing was filling. You began to realize that the reason there's that need is there's this ugliness called sin. That's why I do the bad things I know I shouldn't do. You become convicted, awakened to your lostness, introduced to Jesus, and then you have to begin to grapple with the claims of the cross and the empty tomb. And listen, here's what I want to close by saying. Every day you encounter people, I encounter people who are somewhere on that continuum. From I don't know anything other than Jesus' name is a curse word to I'm right on the brink of, of trusting and some are somewhere in between. Every day you meet people 
on that continuum. And you know what our job is as believers, as witness bearers? Help them take the next step. Figure out where they are and help them take the next step. And that is why the big idea of today's message is simply this, and I've already said it, so let me repeat it. It's to acknowledge this. If Jesus has saved you, Jesus has sent you. If Jesus has saved you, Jesus has sent you into this world, into your workplace, into your classroom, into your neighborhood, into high V as a witness for him. Father, would you teach us? Would you help us? Father, we're beginning something awfully ambitious, and it has, Father, it sobered me to even begin talking about it because we know we don't want to just talk about it anymore. We want to learn. We need to learn in these desperate days in which we're living. Father, what it means to bear witness for Jesus to the truth of the gospel to people who have not yet believed. And Father, we... Father, if we take you at your word, your word says it. If we're saved, we're sent and, and expected to do, to live the way Jesus and his followers did, pointing to the cross, pointing to the hope of salvation, the gift of eternal life. Father, you've given us everything you, we need. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us one another. And Father, you've given us resources by which we can learn how to go from agreeing with it in a sermon outline to doing it on Thursday afternoon. Father, would you help us? Would you help me? Father, having failed to live as a witness so many times before, to begin turning the corner to, to being available, to being attentive, to being prayerful, to being hopeful. Father, to seeing those around me not as Father, not as, as victories to be won, not as people to be persuaded, Father, but as lost, lost sheep desperately in need of a shepherd. And I know the shepherd. We know the shepherd. And we can introduce them to him. Father, take the things of truth as always that have been spoken here this morning and seal them in our hearts and move them to our feet and let all the rest slip away so that we leave with eyes to turn to Jesus alone, in whose name we pray. Amen.